Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition of Carolina Newsmakers. And I'm pretty excited about this because I get to talk to Paul Meyer. He is the executive director for the North Carolina League of Municipalities. And that is a nonpartisan federation of more than 554 cities and towns and villages and, and everything else in North Carolina. Uh, Mr. Meyer, does that include uh, the, the big cities like Charlotte and Raleigh? Are they in there, too? They are. Yes. And uh, so let's get to the uh, urban uh, rural divide that we sure. hear in so much. How do you um, how do you uh, sort of uh, equate or um, match up the desires of a town like Raleigh and a town like Zebulon? Sure. Uh, yeah. Are there is there that much difference or am I just, you know, just uh, sort of bedazzled by the size difference? No, no, Rick, that's a great question. And uh, we get this a lot. Um <clears throat> The beauty of the league is uh, we have everybody in the same, under the same roof, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and mayors and council members from massive cities and mayors and council members from smaller communities get to be together, talk with one another, learn from one another. They typically find that like 95% of what they're working on is exactly the same. It doesn't matter whether it's Charlotte mm-hmm. or, or whether it's Chocowinity. You know, they're working on very much the same thing, which is improving the quality of life. Yeah for the residents that live in their communities. How they do it is different. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the challenges that uh, the mayor of Chacoinity is facing and the mayor of Charlotte are facing, those are two different dynamics. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of the league is they get to work together and try to figure out the best path for uh, North Carolina. Uh, Governor Cooper uh, came out with the big old bond, uh, uh, $3.9 billion. And of course, the headline was you know school construction, and the community colleges and UNC system, everybody's going to get some money. But there was a significant amount of money that was uh, designated to water systems. I'm assuming that that would go to your members. And if it is, uh, tell us kind of what the need is for uh, water and uh, infrastructure in general out there. Well, so cities are, you know, throughout history formed specifically for joint sharing of infrastructure, mm-hmm. urbanization, and how people could collectively work together. Uh, clearly, the, the governor in his in the bond package he's got in the budget he's got eight hundred million dollars set aside for uh, mostly rural water uh, and sewer infrastructure. And um, why is it directed primarily for the rural communities? Well, because in a lot of those communities you've got population decreases, demographic changes that are leading to f- areas that are struggling. You had you know, typically these towns were set up for a mill in the nineteen forties or fifties. Uh, that mill is now closed because those jobs went overseas or went somewhere else. Uh, and now you've got limited ratepayers. You've got a water system and a wastewater system that's dying on the vine and needs help. And I think there's a recognition from Governor Cooper that there's a state responsibility in helping those, uh, helping those areas deal with that issue. Is $800 million enough? Absolutely not. I think, our, I think the, short, uh, the, the studies that we've seen indicate that we've got a $29 billion uh, uh, water and wastewater infrastructure deficit in the state. Now, there's lots of different ways you could measure that, yeah. but that includes the needs of growing communities. You know, think about Charlotte for a minute. They're rapidly growing, and they've got the opposite side of the coin. How do they keep up? You know, how do they keep up and expanding their infrastructure, not just maintaining what they what they have? You know, can you address the fact that uh, we, we, when you see all the big uh, stories that uh, – 
the media does you know about North Carolina. It's usually about it's a great place to live. It's um, the economy's booming and all of that sort of thing. But in reality, they're really talking about five major cities um, and not the rest of North Carolina. Right. What are uh, you know? And you talked about population decreases yep. in some areas. Uh, talk about the big difference between the urban and, and the rural uh, areas. You're very much on target. We have 30 counties that have experienced population loss for long periods of time. And that in those counties, obviously that includes the municipalities within those counties. So on one hand, we've got sort of the old economy struggling to keep up. And then, as you said, we've got massive population growth in probably five to ten counties. And it's folks coming from out of state. It's folks it's in migration folks moving from the rural areas to these larger areas uh, and I think we talked about water and wastewater just a minute ago um, part of this transition though is because those communities don't have modern tools you know they don't have in their communities what the what the mostly metro areas have specifically broadband infrastructure mm -hmm. and uh, if you think about our modern world and our modern economy uh, that's now a, a regular part of life for mm -hmm. the vast majority of the industrialized world and for areas that are under, either unserved or underserved, those areas are not going to be able to maintain population and job growth until that piece gets fixed and the league is working on that specific topic. I think the state of North Carolina for almost 20 years has had some sort of rural uh, broadband uh, agency and then of yeah. course there's the rural center. Are they getting the uh, uh, the attention that uh, is needed from the legislature as far as moving things along as opposed to, okay, we're going to give you a little bit more money this year, see you next year? Well, uh, I would say I don't think we have a state strategy that that is uh, comprehensive. Um, one of the missing elements of that strategy is municipal governments being a part of that solution. And many, many parts of the country, municipalities are participating in this in some way, typically in public-private partnerships, to try to encourage private providers uh, to support. That's a tough sell, isn't it? it? Well, it's interesting. We've had a debate about this uh, really over the last 15 years about the role of cities in our state in in that in telecom. Yeah, um, we have a couple cities that own and operate broadband networks. The city of Wilson owns and operates a a um, fiber optic network that's actually got the highest um, the, the, the highest uh, bandwidth and, and pa internet power of really? anywhere in the state. Uh, the response though from the legislature was we don't want municipalities, we don't want you in that, in that, uh, in that role. And so cities were taken out of that role about eight years ago, six years ago. But when we lost that authority to own and operate those systems, we also lost the ability to participate in public-private partnerships. So the Trump administration has, I think, almost a billion dollars in USDA grants designed specifically for rural broadband expansion mm -hmm. that the cities in North Carolina cannot tap because of our state law restricting uh, municipal participation. So we can't get that federal money to assist in, in providing dollars to large telecoms or small startup companies to fill that unserved and underserved gap. Is there anybody in the legislature that uh, gets that right now, given that they just started their two-year biennium? It, it's a great question. We're talking with them actively about it. I know the Association of County Commissioners is also talking mm -hmm. about this. Um, and we talk about this in terms of rural communities, but there are also pockets <clears throat> in our large cities where 
the sort of your large telecom folks have just decided these are areas that are not profitable for us or they're too spread out and we can't serve them profitably. Yeah. And I get that. It's it's not um, – the cities are not trying to be the broadband provider, but we're trying to find ways to get it to uh, sir, uh, unserved and underserved areas so that economic prosperity and that potential can be there for everybody. And uh, let me see if I understand the problem is, uh, is let's say that, uh, you know, the Rick Martinez, uh, you know, broadband company, and I got this, you know, super duper service. Okay, where am I going to invest my money? Well, I can, right. you know, I can go to uh, Wake County uh, and, uh, you know, maybe uh, Garner or someplace like that, and you know, where I've got like, well, probably 500 customers within uh, probably you know, 10 square miles. And then if I go to Vance County, mm-hmm. you know, I may have uh, 500 customers and m- heck of a lot spread out a lot more. You got it. Makes a lot more sense for me to go to the more dense place because it's going to be cheaper for me to operate right. as opposed to Vance County. And that, it, that's, 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 that's the, the exact formula. And, you know, if you go back, I'm not even sure how long in history we had the same thing with telephone. And federal government created a universal service fund, and there were all these ways to try to enable smaller providers to fill those gaps or the larger providers to fill those gaps. And that's the exact pattern we're on here. This is one of our large pushes so that we can deal with the urban-rural divide you mentioned. This is one of the strongest ways to do that. Um, can you t- talk about the um, the role of the U.S. Department of Agriculture? Because I think a lot of people – would kind of assume that you know they're out there helping farmers and so forth, but they are. But another uh, division that they have is basically rural economic development. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they players in North Carolina? They are. And uh, we talk about filling this large gap in water, rural water, wastewater mm-hmm. um, infrastructure needs. They participate in that as well. That's a, another way. But federal money is drying up, mm-hmm. and so. We're looking for state money, and that's hard to come by, and local dollars are really hard to come by in those areas that are struggling. So it's a it's a mess that we're trying to deal with. There's a lot of different parts to this. Um, but I guess it's exciting that we have an organization that's actively working on these on these pieces. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm 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 proud of our, our organization. Okay. We're speaking with uh, Paul Meyer. He is the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities, and uh, we'll continue to uh, exploring the issues that are uh, facing more than 540 cities and towns and villages in our state. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? Uh, What? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are... 
Of course. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses, you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right. Sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition of Carolina Newsmakers. Paul Meyer is with us. He's the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities. Uh, he is a graduate of Wake Forest University and got his law degree at Campbell, where he likes to brag all the time about how so many of their law degree uh, graduates uh, get uh, you pass the bar like like they're number one as far as you know, uh, beating all the law schools. There's that, actually a uh, discussion about having the Campbell law, law, the Campbell graduates not even have to take the bar anymore. We're yeah, it's just assumed. Yeah, right? absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great move. <clears throat> okay, well, so you can see what we're dealing with here, folks. <laughs> okay, um, you know, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, the uh, rural development uh, primarily. Um, let me ask you about, um, you know, uh, an issue that doesn't get a lot of attention and I think that, you know, a lot of non-urban cities uh, are looking at, uh, you know, the retirement community because, you know, if you don't have to go to work uh, every day and fight traffic in, in the urban areas, man, I tell you, rural North Carolina is a great place to retire. I know that there's a couple of counties and cities that are actively pursuing that market. And then um, if you have situations where uh you know a lot of kids in rural counties are coming uh to uh, the wake county or um, uh, wilmington and uh, getting an education at one of our 17 campuses and deciding i like it here this is that's a long way of getting to uh, aging populations is that becoming an issue for some of the 540 towns and villages it is uh you know, uh, uh, what's, what's tough is in the changing economy, a lot of these towns are having to reinvent themselves, um, going through a visioning process about what the future is because the mill closed, you mm-hmm. know, or the large industrial piece is no longer there. And some of the communities have identified retirement, you know, a retirement sort of vision for yeah. the town, that they, that they in fact want this, that they are interested in becoming a very friendly place for retirees. That raises all kinds of questions about our transportation system. Mm-hmm. It raises questions about health care. It raises question about retail. And, of course, broadband, because if you start thinking through, you know, folks that aren't able to leave their homes readily or easily, right. uh, having that sort of, you know, ability to communicate with the world is really an important thing. Mm-hmm. So we have, we have a, actually a subset of our uh, league called the North Carolina Resort I think it's called the resort towns, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And they talk actively about issues related to elderly folks living in their communities and the steps that they have to take as leaders to create um, a local community that's amenable uh, for those folks and and gives them the quality of life that they're looking for. Yeah, because I I would assume that – and, you know, I'm just kind of making this up, but – it, uh, as you said, there's a number of counties that are experiencing uh, depopulation, so to speak, and so maybe a, a, um, a hospital or healthcare facility is a lot more important than a school. 
No, that's right. There, that would be that would be the push and pull. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, you know it's it's it is harder to fulfill that vision when the only hospital is sixty five miles away. Mm-hmm. You know, that becomes much more of a challenge. So it's again, it's back to how do we have economic growth that the entire state is experiencing and sharing in so that each town can live into the vision that they that they set that they kind of view I mean, that's i guess the beauty of the league is we talked about chocolate we talked about charlotte yeah every one of those communities has its own vision and view of what the area can be or what mm-hmm. it should be what it could be and um it's the it's that diverse nature that the, the diversity of these towns that um is what is the strength of our of our federation of, of cities Talk about um, the the tax situation because, as I understand it, and tell and tell me if I'm wrong here, is is that the the taxing authority that every town and village that needs to you know to pay the bills and to provide the services every that has to be granted by the general assembly, right. and then in order and and if that's the case, is everybody pretty much happy the, with the way that things are are set up now, or are there some really glaring uh, you know uh, tax relief or tax authority that the General Assembly should be uh, taking a look at. So you're, you're right on the legislature granting the ability to tax for not just for cities but for counties, you know, for, for local governments. Um, the cities uh, at one point had a much broader tax base. They had a much broader ability to, to tax different sources and those, those sources over time, over 30 years, have been taken away. Uh, leaving the cities only with con- control of only the property tax rate um, in their jurisdiction. That's the only thing that they can control. Everything else has been given to county government to control or the state has taken those those uh, revenue sources away. Yeah. Um, without going too far down the line here, one of the biggest problems that we see, you know, cities, the investments that cities make are what ultimately – Pave the pave the way for private sector investment. I mean, eighty percent eighty percent of the jobs in our state are located within municipal boundaries. Seventy five percent of the sales that occur in our state occur within city limits. So the investments that cities make, typically in infrastructure, whether it be transportation, broadband, if we if we could do that, and mm-hmm. we're working on that one, uh, wastewater and water systems. That sort of plows the field or prepares a field for the private sector to plant seeds in to grow economic, to provide economic growth. Um, the issue, unfortunately, is that the cities will spend all the money. They'll do all, I mean, all these activities to try to encourage this type of activity. But when a sale occurs, as I said, 75 percent of the sales occur within municipal limits, but the cities only get 30% of the sales tax dollars, of the local sales tax dollars. The rest go to county governments. So if you ask me about a kind of an unfair situation or a problematic thing, it's that the cities are making these investments and yet they don't reap the benefit to then you know, have the ability to make mm-hmm. more investments. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, in some ways, it's a, it's a tough situation. The property taxpayers that live within those municipal boundaries are subsidizing all kinds of people uh, unwittingly, and we're working on trying sure. to create fairness in that. Well, let me see if I um, understand what you said here. Um, I used to live in Orange County, uh, mm-hmm. yep. and uh, which is pretty rural, uh, 
and God forbid that I go into Chapel Hill to do anything because I'm a Duke fan. So uh, anytime, come out alive. Yeah, that's right. So anytime I wanted to, uh, you know, go down and uh, pick up a shovel or yeah, have a restaurant, eat at a nice restaurant, or you yeah. know, anything, I went to Durham, and all yeah. my sales tax went to durham uh, as opposed to orange county where where i live is that what you're kind of explaining here you said 70 percent of, of retail or of sales transactions are in the urban areas and you know so if you went to chapel hill let's just keep it if you as an orange county resident if you decided if you lived in the unincorporated area yeah i did and you, and you came into chapel hill and you right. and you purchased something that had a sales a local sales tax uh-huh. applied to it the county of orange would take 66 percent of that really of that and mm-hmm. and the and the city would only get a much smaller part even though you were probably eating somewhere or or in a store mm-hmm. that the city made a transportation investment yep, or water and wastewater yep. to get to mm-hmm. and this is the issue that we're talking about because of these policy decisions over time we've set up a situation where taxes are going to for for the taxpayers in the city limit their property taxes are much more pressure on them over time. And so unless there's substantial growth, infill growth within the city, um, it's going to get tough. And property tax is really a sensitive type of tax because, first of all, you tend to see it in your mortgage payment every month when it goes up, so you're reminded of it. <laughs> yes. the, and then there's the – I guess there's the capacity of – you know, there's only so much that you can raise without beginning to drive people out, particularly those who have the economic resources who you want, you know, to, hey, I, you know, heck with this, I'm going to go over to, That's right. you know, um, you know, uh, Roxborough or someplace to heck with Wake exactly. County. I'm, you know, okay. Or out of state. Or out of state, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it's, yeah, and, and so if you think about the combined property tax rate between a county and a city, you know, these are things that, that are you know, they're part of the economic development decisions for the companies that we're working with and that are, you know, hometown companies too. I mean, we, we, we don't want this to become such a burden that we create disincentives. But on the other hand, we have to be able to raise the money to do the things that we need to do. And that's – so, Is that a touchy sis, uh, subject among your membership? Because, you know, I recall that – I used to work for Governor McCory, and during that time there was a measure to, in essence uh, – redistribute uh, sales tax for the, the reasons that we had talked. Mm-hmm. Governor McCory being the once mayor of Charlotte, oh, he kind of hit the you know hit, hit right. the ceiling over that and right, right. pretty much killed it or along with some other folks and so forth. Right. So is that a sensitive subject even within your membership? That's a tough one within uh, within the league's membership um, because there's uh, kind of winners and losers uh, winners mm-hmm. and losers being created in those redistribution formulas. Uh, we said all along that there are other ways to do exactly the kinds of things. You know, you, you can do it without having to, to pull directly from somebody's pie and putting it in somebody else's. Uh, but we sort of have the philosophy, uh, and when I say we, I'm talking about the mayors and council members that, that, are, that are leading our organization, that if you, if you elevate all ships, uh, you know, you don't have to do these types of things. Mm-hmm. Or you can do it through other resources, such as state resources. You know, you can transfer. And that's been going on for years. We've transferred money across the state through state budget. I mean, that's always happened. And for that matter, the federal budget yeah. occurs. Let me ask you about schools, because that's a separate entity. Um, but 
goodness gracious, the ability to attract uh, residents and businesses is so dependent upon uh, schools. What is the gen- what is the working relationship, assuming there is one, generally speaking, between uh, your members and the school districts around the state? So uh, what I would say to you is um, there's not sc- – cities are not involved in this type of thing. I mean th- mm-hmm. the core function of cities is about sort of economic development, infrastructure, basic services for residents, utilities. You know, those are the kinds of things that we do. Yeah. So we don't have a, a lead role really really any role at all in in education uh, i know there are some folks that would like to see cities involved in that uh, but that's not really what we do the county governments are in school capital you know they're they're not they fund them yeah they're mm-hmm. in school capital but that's not been a role that we've been given under state statute and and so i wouldn't say it's a bad relationship i just say it's not one that we're really it's just not really a lane that we're in and you and I guess you guys got enough to do as it is, right? We there the cities are already <laughs> stretched enough. Uh, I I know that um, it, it's just not it's just not somewhere yeah. we need to be. Okay, we're speaking with uh, Paul Meyer. He is the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities on this edition of Carolina Newsmakers, and we'll we will continue our conversation right after this. Hey, Dr. Phil here. I help people solve difficult and trying personal problems every day on my TV show. But there's one problem that's just got me stumped. Childhood hunger. Nearly 16 million children in America struggle with it. That's one in five kids who may not know where their next meal is coming from, despite the fact that there's more than enough healthy, nutritious food out there to feed them all. Now, I don't know about you, but that is unacceptable to me. Luckily, the Feeding America network of good people is out there collecting surplus food and giving hope to hungry children and their families at local food banks all across the country. But let's face it, they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. I'm not staying home tonight. I'm at school all day. If they want me to do the work, give it to me while I'm at school. This guy has me coming to work 10 hours a day. So what if I didn't finish school? That doesn't mean he can work me like a dog. Hey, man, I need a few bucks. My car's busted and I need some cash. Hello? Hello? Every decision you make has a benefit or consequence. Make the right choices today and be ready for the challenges tomorrow. This message is brought to you by the United States Air Force. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition. We're speaking with the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities, uh, Mr. Paul Meyer. And uh, we kind of teased you a little bit earlier in the program about being a a big uh, booster of Campbell uh, Law, where you received your... Um, your um, uh, your law degree, and so far. are you born bred uh, North Carolina? Or did, are you one of them Yankees that came in and to mess everything up? Uh, it depends how you define Yankee. I'm from multiple states, but I'm not born and bred North Carolina. Okay, how long have you been in North Carolina? I've been in North Carolina 31 years. And how did you how did you get here? I came from undergraduate school when I was 18 oh, years old, right? and I've never left. That's right. Uh, from where? I came actually from my family's from Texas. I mm-hmm. spent my high school years in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and then made my way down here when I was eighteen. 
And how, I've been here ever since. Now, how did you get involved in this? I mean, was it you know you got a law degree that you know you can do a lot of things, including practice law, but there's a lot of other things you can do. Um, you know, did you just kind of just show up on the door one day and decide to stay, or you know what is it in particular about this that kind of keeps you in there uh, in the in the league? Well, I um, I've actually been in the local government support of local governments world for my entire legal career. Um, I had some internships at the legislature when I was a when I was a, a young pup, and um, um, I've always had a very strong interest in public policy and and, and practical solutions and and helping people get it done. Mm-hmm. And um, and these organizations, you know, the league, um, you know, we're in a support role for these uh, 500, 550 cities and towns, mm-hmm. and we've got a staff of folks that share that passion. Um, I've met some of the most amazing elected officials throughout my life. Uh, the the folks that work for cities, and I used to work for counties, by the way, county governments. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I've I've met some amazing leaders, folks that you know, partisan politics don't matter to them. It's just about trying to help their local areas. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that continues today, and and it's just been they they inspire me, and I get up every day excited to work with them and for them. And um, again, we've got a, a group of people at our organization that that believe that local communities and the diversity of those communities really are the embodiment of freedom and what our country was about. And and uh, and so we get up and, and do this work. You know, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I know that uh, I I used to work for I used well I used to work for a, a city city of Phoenix back in the day, and then. My first job in North Carolina was with uh, Raleigh Durham International Airport, which is its own municipal it's an authority. Uh, yeah. entity. Are they mm-hmm. an affiliate too? They're an authority. An authority, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and such. And um, so then, when I went to work for for Governor McCrory, I, I always kind of uh, smiled because you would always get, you know, big shots from other areas of uh, the economy would come in and work, uh, you know, for the governor you know, for one in one area or another. And they are always amazed at the quality of state workers and the dedication of state workers, and you know, which is a different story from what you get from the people who always go, you know, in front of a microphone and uh, or you know the action news reporter who wants to get a big expose on you know one thing or another. And you're finding that as well in in uh, in cities and municipalities. Yeah, it's. And the struggle, you know, the struggle always is, and if you start thinking about our rural conversation we had earlier, how do we attract and retain a workforce in those areas? Yeah. And, and, and we've got a number of programs that we're running right now, uh, actually, uh, with the North Carolina City County Managers Association and with the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners, working on how do we place, you know, how do we try to fill those shoes of these folks in these towns What's the stickiness that would bring somebody back home after they've gone to after they've gone to university? Mm-hmm. Maybe they've got a master's in public administration. Mm-hmm. How do we get them to head back to rural North Carolina rather than going to Phoenix, mm-hmm. for example? And that's a hard one. That's a hard one. But again, we have towns that have two employees running the whole town. You know, and they've, right? been, and they've been doing it twenty five or thirty years. Yeah. And those folks are dedicated. They love their communities, and they want to see them thrive. But it's really, really tough. Because we're in a competition, not just with other states and other, you know, locations in the United States. We're, we're in a global, you know, it's a global arms race. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk about there needs to be enough state support for these areas to be able to make those investments, because it's going to be hard for them to make them on their own. If they can't figure out a way to evolve to, the, to a modern 
economic condition, I don't know what their future will be. Mm-hmm. And and that's hard for everybody in the state because we're all kind of in it together. And um, when one part of the state's hurting, we all end up hurting. And that's the way we think about it at the league. Are you guys having a success in attracting uh, young talent to, to, you know, municipal and town work? And because, like, again, you know, you talked about the diversity. I don't know exactly what you, you know, you meant by that, whether you meant a cultural diversity. Uh, I think most people would be surprised at the professional diversity that yeah. a, uh, a town needs. They need accountants, mechanics. They need everything. They need finance folks. Um, <clears throat> they need town manager, attorneys. Mm-hmm. These, right. are, these are – these are complicated operations. Yeah. We have really amazing folks doing this. The question is, do we have enough of them? I mean, that's that's our struggle, particularly on the finance side. Um, you know, we have a number of the towns that are struggling on the periphery of our, of our state. Um, there's a lot of folks looking at their finances, not just do you have enough money in the bank, but do you have enough fiscal – you, how, how, what's the quality of your fiscal controls? You know, are you, are you, are you operating this – on a piece of paper, or are you using a legitimate, you know, mm-hmm. you know, accounting program? And so we're trying, as a league, we're trying to help those towns sort of up their game in those areas so that they can, they can continue on the path that they're on, which is a, a bright future. Um, one area we're having a lot of trouble recruiting, you mentioned talent, um, is police officers. We're having trouble statewide recruiting police officers for all kinds of reasons, um, but that that's an issue that we're working on as well. How do we – and we're, we have a partnership with the North Carolina Police Chiefs Association to work on this very thing uh, because that's – you know, we don't need to have that. And, and you would think, oh, all the urban areas are flush with police. That is not true at all. Uh, I think the town – I think the city of Hickory uh, has a 25 percent vacancy rate right now in their force. You know, and it's amazing that you brought that up uh, in that, you know – for various reasons, I've been around local government, and I'm very familiar with the work of um, the League of Municipalities. But you know what? I never really gave them a given given much thought on the uh, public safety aspect. Uh, and man, that's a big part of everybody's budget is right. uh, is fire and um, and the police officers and such. And now, so can I say that um, you know you were talking earlier that you all 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 of the towns and cities, regardless of the side, always have to work on the same types of problems. Is that the case in law enforcement as well? You know, that the similar, uh, just a matter of scale. It, it's the same thing. Um, there are some of our smallest communities may not have their own police force. They may contract with the sheriff's department because mm-hmm. every county has a sheriff's department. Yeah. So that may be one way that a small town deals with that. Uh, but yeah, this this issue about attracting folks to to law enforcement, specifically police, is an issue. Yeah, um, and that, that that's really uh, fascinating. Now, um, is are the rural uh, areas? Uh, like I said, everybody, not just necessarily the wor- rural areas, uh, are they getting the um, a proper amount of attention when it comes to transportation, particularly uh, roads, because um, in the governor's uh, proposal for bonds, he did. There's no there's no transportation uh, uh, in that. Right. It's basically school construction, uh, water and sewer and so forth. I mean, are you guys good on that? You don't need uh, any bond <laughs> money there. You're, you're you guys are fine. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think you know the answer to that on that one. Uh, so to kind of help all the listeners, uh, 
the cities, so for whether you're – the cities in our state own and operate um, about 15 percent of the state's transportation network. The state has the other 85 percent. Mm-hmm. County governments don't own or operate roads in North Carolina. And, and we are one really? of – I did not know that. We are one of two states where the counties have no role in funding road infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And so – so that's a heavy burden. We have 20, I believe, the, I believe it's 22 million miles of roads, or maybe it's maybe it's not a million miles, but we've got it's a fi- bunch. It's a bunch. We've got 15 percent of it, uh, and the the cities get a share of the gas tax. They get a a, a, law, a fixed share of the gas tax, and that and that amount of money has not is not indexed. It does not. It hasn't increased for years and years. Yeah, and so. Um, it, there are formulas that it's distributed through, but it's just not enough money to get the job done. Um, and then for, again, for the listeners, a lot of times you might be in a, in a town or a city driving on a road and you think this is the city of Raleigh's road when, in fact, it is a state road. And so the maintenance schedules between what a city does <laughs> and what a state does are different. Yeah, that's right. The yeah. cities <clears throat> almost always have a much more aggressive maintenance schedule than the state road. So a major road going through a small town or, or even a major road going through a big town or a not-so-major road is actually a state road, and people call the mayor and complain about the potholes <laughs> on X road, and the mayor can yeah. do nothing about it because yeah. it is not their road. <laughs> we have seen over the last 10 years a number of cities that will issue their own transportation bonds paid for by the local taxpayers, yeah. and then a portion of that money is spent on a state road that the state has not maintained mm. well enough, and they don't get reimbursed from the state. Mm. This is just the city bailing out where the state has not held up their end of the bargain. So not only do we have our own local issues to deal with, but we're also subsidizing uh-huh. the state in certain ways as well. This is not to say the DOT is a bad partner. They're a very good partner for, yeah. our, for our folks. It's just that there's not enough money in this system for what we have built, which is a very large road network. And um, I don't want to get off on this topic, but this is another hard one to solve because as cars are becoming more and more fuel efficient yeah, and we have vehicles that are now hybrid and electric and all kinds Mm -hmm. of things, they're not – people aren't even buying gas. And that, of course, is the funding mechanism for paying for these repairs. Well, you know, I've always read about this. Is is this now manifested into a significant – uh, uh, revenue problem for uh, cities here in North Carolina. That's now that you got all these, you know, do-gooders, uh, you know, riding around in electric cars. Now you, you're sticking it to the cities because they're not buying enough gas. It's there's been no state. This is not just our issue. There are states all across the country struggling with this. There mm-hmm. are some. There are a couple states that now have are, try, are trying to impose a vehicle miles traveled way yeah. of, of 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 deriving revenues to, mm-hmm. to pay for this kind of thing. There's going to have to be a federal solution on this one, and so we'll we'll just sit and struggle as the, as the oil well runs out of oil. You know, everybody's going to be subsidizing this in other ways. That's interesting, but we may not have car. You know, eventually maybe it's all, you know, self-driving cars, and then what happens? So I, I don't know. This is a whole area that we talk about. We're not sure what to do. Interesting. Um, we are speaking with uh, Paul Meyer, who's the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities, and we will uh, continue our conversation when we come back. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain. 
sleet and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me. Your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. When we get old, will you take care of me if I can't get around anymore? Of course. We'll find a way. Are you going to take care of me if I can't see anymore? I'll read to you every day. And if one of us gets Alzheimer's disease, what then? Call 1-800-437-2423 for a free booklet on caring for your loved ones from Alzheimer's Disease Research. 1-800-437-2423. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition. We are speaking to the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities, uh, Paul Meyer, who has been with the organization forever and a day. What, 2009 is when you were uh, doing that? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has been, uh, during the break, he uh, continues to talk about how wonderful Wake Forest University is and uh, Campbell <laughs> University, where he got his law degree. So uh, thank goodness that'll end here after shortly. Um, General Assembly is in town, um, and they've uh, filed a, a lot of bills. Are there anyone's, uh, any bills in there that uh, you're looking out for as far as your uh, uh, member cities and towns? Well, it's it's uh, it's it's not necessarily the bills that are being are being filed right now. You know, we, it's so early in the session that if I told you we cared about one bill, there's going to be, mm-hmm. we'll probably the league usually follows and works actively on three to four hundred bills per session because mm-hmm. these pieces of legislation affect cities. We believe we have not seen it yet, but we believe there will be a broadband bill coming that obviously we will support and and push very hard for. And we know there's going to be a budget bill. We just saw the governor's budget yesterday that contained a number of things that right. affect cities and towns. But but an issue that is sort of flying under the radar screen um, that is um, that is important uh, for cities and towns is is about uh, pensions mm-hmm. for uh, city city workers. Our system has been one of the most well-funded pension systems in the country forever, and that's and that's a tribute to state treasurers and legislatures and city mm-hmm. leaders for, for decades. But uh, unfortunately, with investment returns, and I think we all know this with our own sort of yeah. investment portfo- uh, portfolios, investment returns um, have been not as, not as great as people want for quite a while. And unfortunately, a lot of those pension systems are supported by investment returns. Um, state treasurer's office has told uh, the cities to expect a 1.2% increase uh, in payroll over the next three years, so almost a doubling of our employer contribution rates. What does that really mean? It means that cities statewide will be, will be paying somewhere between 300 and $350 million more just to keep the pension system funded at its current level. Wow. And when, that, when things like that happen, uh, then it's really hard for us to put the money in roads, water and sewer, hopefully broadband infrastructure at some point, um, public safety, all the kinds of things that cities do. So so while we're 
fighting all those battles and with limited um, revenue sources, we're dealing with that. Another bill, Rick, if, you, if I might, another bill that I know we're hoping to see this session and we have seen in previous sessions has been a bill to enable cities to have their own sales tax authority. And I know lots of folks. They don't have that now? I, I, I'll be darned. I did not know that. No, we don't have our own independence. It's all linked to county. It's all linked to county taxation. So um, um, the county governments have their own um, quarter penny local option, yeah. uh, county only. We're trying to get our own municipal-only sales tax authority so the money will go specifically to the town in which it is derived and not get spread out into the system and not, not reach you as a uh, as a city uh, as a city property taxpayer well so, i'm i'm being educated here because i just assumed that when i went to like i said i do a lot of shopping and when i go to raleigh into a city and i buy services and they say okay here's your sales tax i thought a, a part of that equation was a city sales tax to mm -hmm. pay for the the water that i just used and the roads mm -hmm. that i just uh, no. drove nothing huh? no so it's it's a it's a county base tax structure of which we get 36 percent yeah and the 64 percent goes to the county government yeah that's a sweet deal so if you're a county it's a great deal but if you're a city yeah who's having to pay for all that infrastructure that's led to that development it gets really really tough mm -hmm. which is why we're now talking about a separate taxing authority just for the towns um, we used to have a business privilege license authority that municipalities would levy that was uh, that went away, I think five or six years ago. Really, that wasn't a massive revenue source, but it was a it was an important revenue source, particularly for the largest communities where businesses were locating. So, so we'll be looking for city only tax um, authority this session. Um, let me go back to the pension thing a, a little bit because I, I yeah. want again I'm kind of making assumptions and, uh, and and through my conversation with you I'm learning so much. That my assumptions are wrong. Like I assume that cities, you know, had their own mm -hmm. uh, tax, uh, right. sales tax. Given um, that it tends to make sense, pensions. I'm assuming that that is a big attraction for towns and cities and villages to attract talent. Because look, let's face it, you're not going to make a zillion dollars working for the city of Hillsborough or the town of Hillsborough. You could probably make a lot more money um, even just down the street at the University of North Carolina Chapel here or any other places. But one of the great things about working for a city and a town is that you, you have a pretty decent uh, pension. Now, is that assumption correct? Is that helpful in probably keeping workers uh, more than anything else? Yeah, it, we have a defined benefit pension. And as you said, that's a that's that whole structure is uh, sort of waning in society. There's not as many folks that have that type of a pension. And so, you know, if you think about a sanitation worker in a municipality who works there 25, 30 years, um, they may not make a lot of money during their career, but they know that they will have a check of some size for the rest of their life mm -hmm. on the backside. Yeah. And, that's, yeah. and that's part of that trade, part of public services. I may not make as much during my career, but on the backside, I will be, um, I'll have something. And so, yeah, this is – it's an important piece for uh, our folks to attract and retain talent, um, you know, whether it be, you know, a city manager or whether it be, again, somebody who's out on the front line helping, helping us with, um, uh, with uh, yard waste and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so this issue about defined benefit pensions and maintaining that system is an important piece for, for the city governments. 
Are there enough um, former uh, city uh, council members, mayors, uh, maybe city managers in the legislature now? I mean, how's the mix right now? Because it's really, I know that uh, when Governor McCrory, um, uh, he was really helpful for, in fact, uh, in working with the mayor McFarland, you know, to get the Dix deal done because you had two mayors working together. They right. spoke the same language. Right. How's your representation uh, as former mayors and that sort of thing? It's good. We obviously would would want more. Um, we would want more of our uh, more of our folks running for those for those offices. Um, the last two elections have actually had a good number of municipal former municipal officials um, coming to the state legislature. And uh, and so it's it's uh, always important for us to make sure that we're, you know, helping uh, helping them connect state policy with municipal issues because you know there are 1,800 bills that are introduced during the legislative session. That's a lot to keep up with. Wow. And so our our job is to try to keep those city issues in front of uh, in front of the legislators, whether they're former city officials or not. But of mm-hmm. course, locally elected officials who then become uh, state legislators, um, we think generally. Uh, they have a just a different sense because they've had to govern in a different environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're always promoting those types of folks and hoping they'll they'll move to the next level. Are you uh, able to get a number of uh, former um, mayors and so forth who have gone on to other uh, jurisdictions to come back and speak to your annual meetings and so forth? Because you know that's it's kind of like oh like one of ours did good and you know yeah, we can we, do it too. We do. We have folks that have come back and have done the, those types of talks. Um, and uh, we were talking earlier about our state treasurer. So Dale Falwell yeah. was was a locally elected official on a school board. Was he? So he was not a city council member, but he has come and and talked to our group and can talk about local communities and local needs because he's been there. Been there. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, uh, I want to tell you that uh, you know, Mr. Meyer, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking uh, time out to educate uh, and inform and entertain. Uh, uh, our uh, our listeners uh, throughout the state of North Carolina. Appreciate you being Thank here. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate it. All right. All right, Rick Martinez in for uh, uh, Don Curtis on this edition of Carolina Newsmakers. Don will be back next week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.